You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 32 of the Prehistories podcast. Can't believe we've got this far. We explore in this podcast how prehistory is portrayed in the present day. Last episode, we talked about the role of prehistoric themes in folk horror. And we talked for so long that it's not only become a double episode, it's a triple episode. I don't really mind because it gives me longer to organise the next story. If you have any ideas for what that could be, whether it's a book or a film or a TV show or anything else, then let me know. You'll find me on Twitter at prehistpod, or you can find me on the Archaeology Podcast Network and send us a message. Today, I continue talking with Beck Lambert, who is a postgraduate archaeology researcher on the Underpasses Our Liminal Places project, and David Southwell, who's the creator of Hookland, an author, and he um, also created Folklore Against Fascism. They're all big horror fans as well. We take in a few other old and more recent folk horror films and TV shows. Enjoy. So sorry, everyone. We have had such difficulty with recording for some reason, and I think it's just everybody's Wi-Fi and trying to be all on the same time. Uh, you're being very positive. I think there's some beans out there that <laughs> I don't want this going out. <laughs> I think you might be right. I think, yeah, I'm trying to be positive, but you know that behind the scenes I, <laughs> I've been um, cursing. And uh, um, we've lost, uh, uh, sorry, I should have said many minutes ago that we've lost Lauren and I hope to speak to Lauren again um now we seem to have lost Simon <laughs> so yeah they um this is there are angry survival horror one by one, yeah. by one. <laughs> battle royale goes oh gosh pod. <laughs> yeah my one of my friends made me watch battle royale that was traumatic Wow. It's a, it's, I, a, it's a guidebook. It's a handbook. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I can't even watch Shaun of the Dead again. I can't. Oh. I just, I'm such a wimp. Anyway, but we're, uh, I'm, I, you know, I never caught these Christmas. Uh, they were radio shows, weren't they? The MR James, BBC at Christmas. They were brought back by Mark Gatiss, but there was a tradition of doing the sort of ghost story at Christmas, mm. a lot of the most fondly remembered ones are the M.R. James adaptions mm. that they did. And it kind of goes back, it's a very old tradition, isn't it? I mean, that's what you get in, in Dickens, is that tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas with Christmas mm. Carol and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, it's very much that sense of, you know, the, the Christmas ghost story. And, uh, you know, the, the BBC yeah. adaptions are very much loved. And I think for many people, it's their first experience of mr james <clears throat> excuse me so it, it, they are loved but the the original james stories are deeply loved and you, you will find fans of them everywhere because it, it really is quite often a a wonderful sense of as, as i've been saying of you know the past infecting the, the now Mm. That that sense that places are infected by the past, people are infected by the past. You know, he, there's a, a wonderful sense of doom echoing across temporal distance in James, and his use of antiquarian 
you know, characters, you know, the people who are unearthing yes. and, and, and digging up and digging what they shouldn't be and researching into the past and bringing, and bringing this brings them into a horror in, and, and, and into a sense of doom and, and of being pursued by the past, infected by the past, and the past not being a safe place, even if you are an academic, even if you are somebody from that antiquarian background. They're very powerful stories and they've lost none of their ability to convey a sense of place, a sense of past, and a deep haunting since they were first written. They are as good today as they were when he first penned them. Absolutely. And the BBC adaptions have been, you know, loved by many. But the actual M.R. James, I, I think he's probably now almost as popular as he was in his heyday. And he's certainly one of the classic writers. I think we talk of quite often of folk horror as being something, you know, only of cinema, but it certainly goes back much further. And it does involve writers like Macken, James, Aikman, Algernon mm. Blackwood, who I think probably wrote the best folk horror story of all time with The Willows. But James is a yeah. wonderful, wonderful writer. And I, I think, you know, I'm quite often, I, I've sat in pubs with people saying, I know he probably wouldn't have liked me very much, but... I can still love and appreciate his work at a very deep level. And I think he's a huge uh, influence on, on if, if it wasn't for Macken and for James, and if you could sort of have a literary uh, DNA paternity testing, you would find that they had fathered so many of us and so many of our works uh, you know, across so many different genres of horror and of, yeah. sort of the eerie and uncanny. They are very powerful figures. Mm. And, Certainly with James, you absolutely get that sense of the transgressive nature of the act of digging and disinterring and and of physically going into the past via the ghost soil is really powerful. And and I think it's sort of set the tone for a lot of the use of archaeology in a lot of films and an awful lot of stories that have come after him. Yeah, as an archaeologist, you kind of, you, you, you are trained to forget those more supernatural ways of viewing the past, I guess, and the the idea of ghosts. But as I mentioned before about the sleeping on a cemetery, how you forget all of your tra- your objective training when it's nighttime <laughs> and yeah. there's a skeleton scratching underneath your tent. Yeah. And um, there's, this idea of ghosts is, is so deep, isn't it? The, the, the ghosts of Roman centurions or the ghosts of of old ladies that uh, that used to live in the house and that you're in now and it's almost a manifestation of that idea that you are you are temporary in what, whatever place you're in absolutely and the past is there still and as you say the past infecting the now david i think there's also a sense for a lot of us writers we feel a deep kinship with archaeologists, because you are world builders, you are fellow enchanters, you are creating ways, and the work you do creates these portals into the past. You 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 recreate the past. You enchant us. You bring us into its living story, and we kind of feel a, a, a kinship because quite often it's it's very dull, very lonely, not particularly well rewarded. And quite often, you know, nobody sees all the hard graft that goes into it, whether it's a story or it's, it's a, 
you know, piece of archaeology. You know, the, the work is Yeah, they seem invisible. very similar, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. and I think there's a, there's a real sense of kinship, I think. It's one of the reasons why a lot of writers, I think, enjoy having, creating archaeological characters and, and situations is, you know, uh, I, and I, I often tell the story of when I was a child in the 1970s of finding a, a Mesolithic flint head in the Salvation Army fields and just how, you know, taking that object to the, the local museum and being told what it was. And it, it created this sort of the temple shades, you know, uh, that field was never just a field again. It was mm-hmm. somewhere where the people of the Neolithic had lived and hunted. And it, it, I had a, it, it completely enchants the landscape and gives this layer of story and gives you eyes to see the landscape of the now through what it was. And it does, not in a, a, a traditional sense of haunting, but you do, archaeologists, when they, they engage and they give us these amazing stories, uh, they do make a haunted landscape. They do populate it with ghosts, with, with people, with what was there before. And that's a really very powerful piece of magic. And, you know, th- that's one of the reasons I think you will always find that there are a lot of writers who are always very interested in portraying archaeology and archaeologists because we recognize that's what you do you know you may you know not see yourselves as enchanters and world builders and and and, you know openers of the ghosts but that's certainly how you come across to us (laughs) wow i thought i mean doing this podcast for several years i've been looking at the role of writers and the and authors storytellers and the role of archaeologists and how they come together and or, or indeed don't. And <laughs> um, I, I got the sense that an archaeologist trying to write, trying to tell stories, is never as successful as a as a proper storyteller using the archaeology to tell stories, because the storytelling is so important to get right. And the archaeology can be can be picked up, <laughs> but for an archaeologist to tell stories, you would you'd need so much training. But I, I love the way that you've just turned that round on me, David, yeah. <laughs> to to suggest that that world building. And yeah. I and I think I can think of particular archaeological writers who who definitely world build for me. Like uh, you mentioned, oh gosh. What, Mark Edmonds. Mark Edmonds, thank yeah, you. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Mark Edmonds, definitely. And uh, and Jaquetta Hawkes in her way. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, Eland is just phenomenal. I really should feature that sometime. But then, but then you have to think as well, sorry, just to interject, you know, so Jaquetta Hawkes was with, was living with uh, Betjeman, not Betjeman, sorry. Uh, oh, the chap who wrote an inspector calls. Oh, Priestley. Yeah. The, so, she, so she was in a relationship with Priestley yes, by the time she wrote Aland. And also she... Oh, and he is such the, an amazing Exactly. And she moved, she moved within the, the same circles as like Paul Nash and yeah. so on. And I think... And, and, and of course, Piggott and Nash formed a friendship when uh, Nash went to look at the, the Avebury works in the, in the 30s. Right. And I think that there's this, 
we, you know, and, and this is something that I really enjoy. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm finishing up a postgraduate degree, which I've, I've enjoyed very much, but I'm stepping away from formal academia in a sense because I, it, I find it constricting at times. It allows me now, I can now work openly and freely with writers, with visual and, and sonic yeah. artists, all sorts of people. And we feed off each other. So mm. as David would say, you know, someone might ask me about uh, something archaeological and I can give them the nuts and bolts, the, the, the you know, uh, the facts, so to speak, of, say, excavations and so on. And then they take that and, 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 and they go with that and then they come back to me of what they've done. And then that inspires me in my research. And it's just like this beautiful connection that is just opening worlds. I you know, and it's... Yeah. I, always no, go on, David, I always tell archaeologists, seduce artists seduce seduce magicians because you have something we want which is this archaeology provides the best wall to bounce ideas off of it's one of the best ways of breaking out of current paradigms of thinking differently because the past is sometimes entirely alien and you have so much to offer creative people it is the wall we want to bounce off of but we need that engagement. And sometimes that engagement ha- has to have a collaborative equity where it isn't about all about theory. We want the nuts and bolts. We want the details. But if you want to start changing the perception that archaeology is not all just about Stonehenge or the Orkneys, <laughs> exactly. you've got to seduce the writers and the artists and the musicians who, and the storytellers to tell the different stories you want told Yes, and yeah. to form those partnerships. Because yeah. when I was creating Hookland, the, I, one of the first things I did was work out what the archaeology of Hookland is, how many yeah. barrows, how, many, how its mm-hmm. Saxon graves rival Berensfield and Swallowcliff. And, and I was using the archaeology I knew and I loved to bounce and to create. And yeah. it can, as Rebecca says, it can create some wonderful relationships and one of again I think the things that we share and the kinship between writers and archaeologists is an absolute obsession with place and focus on place and we we actually have very similar languages quite often very similar agendas to tell stories about place and the past and we need to be working together a lot more and I I think you know we, I, I just know as a writer how much I am inspired, how much I get from the archaeological community, from individual archaeologists, people like Ken Brophy, Lorna Richardson, mm, um, mm, have really inspired yeah. my work and have been a very powerful influence. And it is, you know, we want to do more of this and we should be doing more of this because mm. um, it, it, it's a very different audience quite often. We are yes. very different audiences. And exactly when we work together, we really do become, you know, a very powerful intersection and we can speak in places where I, as a writer, don't normally speak. Being invited to speak at TAG, um, yeah. a section called Hooklandia was just oh, mind-blowing to me. It was, oh, wonderful. It was wonderful. It, it, it was just, it was just, yeah, I, I just don't to... often get that opportunity. But hmm. at the same time, if the, the, the narratives in archaeology, which I sometimes I'm trying to showcase in my work, are the ones which are not 
you know, don't tend to break through in the media and we can help each other and yeah. we should be collaborating a lot more. Yeah. We really oh, I so agree. Our joint reach yeah. can be so much more engaging and so much more powerful. Yeah. And yeah. especially at a time when folklore and archaeology and the past itself is weaponized by some of the worst far-right yeah. nationalistic forces mm. Mm. it's even more for us to sort of work together to say yeah it never was like this this is never how it was and these yeah. are the alternative stories and the stories that need telling i think is you know a very important thing we can do as well i mean for me personally hookland has been a huge source of inspiration for for myself and in developing my various research projects. And I'm really glad that you mentioned the, the Hooklandia session at TAG because for myself, not just as a person who was brought up in a family which, you know, was steeped in folkloric traditions and, and so on, but as an archaeologist, that was just an absolutely phenomenal session. And what really excited me was that through your work, your imagination, David, you inspired these archaeologists to create these absolutely amazing papers. I mean, Martin Barber's Midsummer Murders one was just phenomenal. And also <laughs> the fact that we had a fairly small room for that session because Kenny didn't think we were going to get a huge number of people. And literally, Kim, I don't know if you were there, it was. It wasn't just standing room only. There were people that, like um, Julian Thomas, was stood in the corridor trying to listen and stuff. And and for no me, way. it was just wonderful. It was just so affirming and stuff. It was amazing. Was that at Chester? No, that was at London. Oh, London! I didn't manage to get to no. much of the London one, it which was, was very frustrating. But one of the I did run a session at London, and. Um, it was about what we what have we done for the Romans? I work at a Roman site. Well, I, uh, yes, I do for a short while longer. In in a vein of you know how have we presented the Romans? And it, we worked with Caroline Lawrence, an author of Chelsea's oh yeah, yes, yeah, she's That's lovely. Wonderful, love absolutely lovely lady. And and I was uh, so adamant as presenting that you know what we as archaeologists do is not that. It is important, but it doesn't get to people, like you say, David. It doesn't have the reach, and it's through working with authors like Caroline um, and like yourself and so many others. So uh, we've featured, for instance, Margaret Elphinstone's book, Gathering Night. Oh, gosh, and now I forgot the name of it. Um, but <laughs> I think it's called that early on, and she worked uh, uh, with Caroline Wickham-Jones on that on, on, to do oh, the research for person. that. An yeah. absolutely amazing book as a result of it, and such amazing stories. I, I, and some of my most most kind of not gratifying, but a, a moments where I feel so much pride and so much creativity is working with writers and artists and, yeah. you know, like for instance, working on the first foresters and oh, that's, it's, a, that's one of my favourite books. I love it. Kim. It's so, so wonderful, much, isn't it? So much. 
it's I mean I'm, I I don't feel like I had that much to do with it but I, I but I'm but again but also but that's my just my imposter syndrome there I think but you know working with Matt Ritchie who is the he's awesome forestry isn't he? and, yeah forestry and land Scotland archaeologist um who has these inspired ideas to create these wonderful resources and working with a huge number of artists and uh, photographers and writers and archaeologists to create beautiful books that you can um, still get for free. You can Mm -hmm. download the PDFs for free. Working with Alex Leonard, who is a wonderful cartoonist from Orkney on on creating characters, Neolithic and Mesolithic characters. That was just some of the most, the funnest time in my life. And and the um, images in First Foresters, especially the image of when the imagining of people digging out the hinge ditches and when you've got the, the timber posts and how they imagine it would be. And you've got that shamanic type character. For me, it, uh, that's one of my favorite oh, archaeological images because it just, it's alive. It's completely, the colors are so vibrant. There's movement. It's a static image, but it's, it's full of movement and energy and it's it's just it's phenomenal. Sorry, I will be quite. But that is just and yeah, for me, that is what I want to convey. And and when you and the thing is, when you then take that image back and walk that landscape, it grant it grants you this wonderful, powerful connection. Mm. That, as I say, it it is not just this portal into the past. It, it it's it infects your imagination in a wonderful way. Mm. And. Those images are so wonderful and, and give such a connection back to place, back to the material. And it, it's fantastic storytelling. And it's, mm. it's very, I think it's a very transformative storytelling because you will not be able to think about the history in the same way. You will not be able to think about the place in the same way. It has changed you. And that's wonderful. It's deeply wonderful. Yeah, so I think it, so. This is a manifesto, really, isn't it? That I've been saying this throughout my podcast. Well, to start with, I think my podcast started as a, oh, look how the archaeology has been misrepresented in this book, and it soon became a much, <laughs> much deeper appreciation for storytelling over yeah. over the strict kind of interpretations of certain archaeological things. Yeah. And this, and the creativity of working together to create something that's more than any any archaeologist could ever create yeah. on their own is is just so wonderful. I mean, I think that the manifesto is that you know archaeology is not just grubbing around in the dirt, although that is Absolutely. a very enjoyable part of it. Absolutely, Absolutely. <laughs> it is about us, isn't it? It's about our humanity and about who we are and where we have been and our future and I think it's also about this thing that and, and this is stuff that I address within my research is that you don't have to go out into the far reaches of of uh, certain plains in in southern England or or no. um, dilapidated it's right castles it's everywhere archaeology yeah. from the minute you well I would say it's in your home but also the minute yeah. you step out your door 
there is archaeology everywhere. And archaeology doesn't have to be something that's hundreds or thousands of years old. It could be something that was made last year. And the thing is, it's how we connect. And, and, and that's what I really enjoy. And with my work and the way that I present things, yes, I could present interpretations and data analyses in very academic formal contexts, uh, you know, reports. But I love creating these stories, you see, and and drawing mm. on folklore and drawing on the uncanny and, you know, oh, if we go into this underpart, yeah, but there could be portals in there and, and all these things. And, oh, you know, there's a pylon. Yeah, it's the conveyor of the hum, but the hum isn't modern. The hum has been with us since the beginning. And and then you you bring in the, archaeolo- the archaeological theory, so to speak, through linking the hum and animism and stuff. So mm. there's this, the, the, the heartbeat of archaeology, the DNA of archaeology is running through all these things, but mm. we're just presenting it in a different way. And, and hopefully that will capture the imaginations of people and get them thinking, well, maybe I'm going to go out and, and have a look and an explore and, and see their, not just the wider world, but even their local you know, landscapes with with exactly. different eyes and excited yeah. eyes. You know, the the big thing for Hookland really is is partly is you ask what landscape punk has to do with it. I would say landscape punk is just taking it back to the very basic thing that mm. places layers of memory, layers yep. of story, layers yeah. of information. Yeah, and it's about representing and telling that and allowing that to manifest. And what I'm trying to do in Hookland is offer reenchantment offer mm. eyes of awe onto the familiar and the familiar can be urban settings it can be rural settings but it's just to give people new eyes and that's archaeology to me it gives you a new eye it gives you new eyes and it gives yeah. you an exploration of the layers of place the layers of story that make it and the layers of information it provides those navigation it provides those eyes of wonder and archaeology is a very sublime thing to me when I'm using it and when I'm working with it and certainly when I'm trying to represent it in Hawkland I try and represent it in those terms because I think that's what it really is at its core for me. Well I think that's a good place to bring this to a close. A wonderful description of what archaeology can be all out of this this <laughs> the folk horror which I was obviously uh, facing with trepidation but um uh, I think it, it it is all around us, and this the fear of the of uh, that that comes is part of the effective nature of of the past that's with us. It provokes lots of emotions. One of them can be fear, others can be awe and wonder, and so on. So I think that they're all quite closely allied. But I wanted to just say thank you to Beck Lambert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. It's been really great. And thank you, David Southwell. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you both for your uh, contributions. You are the two last people standing. Everyone else is the kicked <laughs> off. Yeah. We uh, but hope we did. <laughs> Someone's watching over us, David. <laughs> uh, which is wonderful. And um, I will, uh, as long as it's all right with you, share your accounts on the show notes on so on Twitter and so on, so that I can, so people can get in Pleasure. contact Thank with you. you.
Thank you. And hopefully I will manage to talk to Lauren oh, and Simon so. again. I do hope so. Yeah. But um, I'm going to bring uh, our talk to a close for now. No problem. And thank you. And thank you so much, Kim, for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. I, I don't often get invited to be amongst archaeologists. And it's, a, it's always a pleasure when I am. And this Aww. has been a really special pleasure. Thank you so much, Kim. Oh, thank you. It has been really it's wonderful. The pleasure's ours, I would say. I, I've, I, I know we say this all the time, David, but, you know... You, I mean, you know I'm just going to say par. And I, I know you're it, going but... to say par, and I'm going to throw that par straight back at you. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really has been it. lovely, Kim, to, be, you know, to, to talk to Simon, to talk to yourself, to talk to Beck. I'm really looking forward to what Lauren's going to say. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. It, it, the work you do... It isn't about ink stasis. It lives. It inspires. It bleeds out in in ways that sometimes you don't even get a chance to track. And and to be part of the conversation has just been lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. And th- but it's it's been my pleasure. On the third instalment of the folk horror genre for prehistories. I get to finally talk to Dr. Lauren McIntyre, senior osteoarchaeologist at Oxford Archaeology and a horror aficionado who suggested this whole thing. We finally got our tech sorted. So look forward to that next month. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.